Quick content warning at the top of the episode for our discussions of domestic and sexual violence, miscarriage, and self-harm. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. I, keep I forgot about the, the countdown. The yeah, countdown time. I really time. hate that. <clears throat> it's really gross. This is a version it's of the nice. test we haven't yeah. used very often. Um, I need to get back to our main discussion point. Is Bob a little freak? No, he's a kid. Come on. No. Bob, kids are free of the little freak. Unless they're I like some freak. demonic, you know, unless well, there's some. Now, uh, Aaron, don't say something you're going to regret. This is the first film of the movie. <laughs> there's going to be a movie with a real freaky blank- kid later blanketly, on. <laughs> what, what is that? You're applying as a blanket term the idea that kids can't be little yeah. freaks. That's way too broad, my man. There's I, yeah. I think innocent kids should be free of the little freak designation. Is what is what I, I they don't deserve that. I know it's a podcast faux pas to start talking before the guest has been introduced, but I'd like to suggest that all kids yeah. are little freaks. That's right. See, now that wow. is a okay. if all kids are little freaks, are no kids little freaks? You know. Does that mm. eliminate kids from the little okay. freak? I think we just did Roman the Incredibles first, theorem, where it's if everybody's super first normal. Episode, <laughs> first episode of the Year of the Little Freak, and we're already saying like we need to destigmatize de- the little freak already. We've said that we need to normalize <laughs> the No, we just need to define year. what it is. Yeah. It's a long year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, this is Try Love. Thank you very much for listening. It's a roundtable podcast, literal roundtable podcast, where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I apologize. We're making a whole big round of uh, table thing. This is um, our first episode of the new year. Thank you very much for listening to another a few episodes of this show, uh, and we hope you'll stick around for a few more. My name is Jason Daphnis. I suffer. I believe I am, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. I've been fucking you over for a year, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. To me, God is a disease. I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Uh, my name is Aaron, and God is in me. And you can find me uh, back on Twitter at RB Please, uh, fresh in the new year. Wow. That's right. New Aaron's year, new back. Year. New year, same time. Right. New year, same new chat, me. Same chats. Uh, and yeah. we are very, very proud to welcome a brand new guest to Try Love. Uh, Blake Hester is joining us for the very first time. Woo! Introduce yourself, Blake. Hello, I'm Blake Hester. Um, a quote from Possession. For the first time, I find you vulgar. Uh, which is how I feel about this podcast, to be frank. Ooh, nice. <laughs> bad look, bad look. All right, at two minutes, 20 seconds in, he's off the podcast. I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry. You might know Blake from Game Informer, Playboy, Kill Screen, Game Query, and he was on an episode of Crossfade some time ago. So uh, go back That's and right. just Google search his name in, in quotation marks. I'm not sure that there are many of you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever found yourself on Google and found it's somebody me else the same name? And, it's me and a football player. We are the two people that <sighs> pop up. I'm so sorry, uh, but you do know that you need to enter single single combat with the man to then like reclaim. Yeah, I was going to say it's right? tough. Uh, my no, not it's that my boy. To you. No, we're hanging out. <laughs> oh, that's good, it's my dude. Love Blake. Yeah, <laughs> sick. Uh, I am going to say the name of this movie in just a second, and then Aaron is going to take it away with a summary. This is 
Possession, a 1981 film by Andrei Zhuvovsky, and we did figure that out before we started the podcast. We're hoping that that is the actual definitive pronunciation of the director's name. Do you want to do uh, it with the baseball, the baseball commentator sound? Andrei Zhuvovsky. Yeah, nice. Oh, do we try? Yes, we tried, we tried something and we, and we failed. Uh, I'll just let Aaron take it away with his with his patented. Yeah, we're, we're talking about possession. Nineteen eighty one film. Andre Zawofsky. I, I just kind of <clears throat> cough, cough through it. Uh, yes, this film follows Anna and Mark, a wife and husband, played by Isabel uh, Johnny and Sam Neill, respectively. Uh, whose relationship uh, has turned sour after Mark, who uh, works as a spy, returns home to West Berlin after being away for quite some time. Uh, Anna expresses that she wants a divorce, but Mark is frustrated when she fails to give any sort of concrete reasons for that, uh, only saying that the reason isn't because she found another person to be with. Uh, The tensions are exacerbated due to the presence of their son, Bob, uh, played by Michael Hogben, uh, and questions uh, around his custody. Mark eventually resorts to hiring a private investigator to track his wife, uh, but the reasons for her detachment turn out to be farther from anything Mark could have imagined. Uh, The film was kind of generally unsuccessful on release, a a commercial and critical failure by kind of most metrics, um, largely due to edits to the film uh, that reduced it from two hours (laughs) to around 81 minutes. Uh, These edits largely removed the plot, the subplot, kind of the whole point of the film uh, concerning the breakup of the couple's marriage made the film kind of much more of a standard uh, creature feature. Um, However, over the years, the film has gained a much larger following and has been the subject of many modern, more positive reviews. Uh, This is partially due to a new 4K restoration uh, of the film by Metrograph that was released last year, weird to say, but last year in September 2021. Um, Lastly, uh, but not least, this film uh, included the work of Carlo Rambaldi, who is an Italian special effects master. Uh, he is most known for the uh, kind of animatronic disembodied head from Alien, but also worked on a bunch of other films. E.T., uh, the 1976 Hong Kong. Uh, he worked not alone, but primarily on the just the nasty, dirty squid men uh, that appear a few times in this film. A hallmark is uh, that that's what that I have about white cum looking substance that comes out of all of the heads of the things that he designs. Right. That seems to be one of his big takeaways. He's a yeah, he's a nasty freak himself. Maybe he's the little freak uh, yeah, of this film. Well, maybe there's a little bit of an astonishing like. There's astonishingly little come in this movie. For for being what it is, is about and for being like where it goes, not a whole lot of cum here. There's like a gallon of cum in that subway scene that comes out yeah, of her was... ears. <laughs> right. That was I guess primarily the scene that? I was thinking of, in fact. That's very much like Ash when his head gets chopped off. It's the same yeah, kind yeah, of milky uh, secretions. Yep. Yeah, I might not agree with that point, but this is like a an antisexual film that are revolving around sexual matters uh, in a weird way for your top level thoughts baby yeah Uh, yeah. i should should correct myself i realized while aaron was talking uh blake you were actually on two episodes of crossfade i know i know you'd remember um so i just wanted to set the record straight about that i wanted to come clean with the promotions i I need to this is a trial of okay jason Uh, we don't have that podcast is not publishing it at the current moment um so i was 17 and 24 sure i i do believe you about that (laughs) Uh, Blake, we'll toss right back to you for what you thought of this movie. Just a few minutes of uh, what you what you think. I remember, was this your first time at the Trilon? This is my first time at the Trilon. Yeah. Uh, I was unfamiliar with it. I've only lived in Minneapolis for a few months. Um, loved it. Was not 
like had no clue what it was. I thought it was a not it's not a, a knock against it by any means, but I thought it was a more standard theater um, that I was going to. In fact, uh, struggled to find it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, and when I walked in, I was I was a little shocked by what it was also uh surprised i thought i was seeing the 4k metrograph cut i don't know i assumed that i didn't know i was seeing like an original 35 millimeter with uh the worst buzz i've ever heard in the first yeah. 20 minutes of this film uh but luckily that went away um but not my first time seeing possession i ah. i went to see this movie um uh, because i had seen it earlier this year fell in love with it as i think many genre fans do and am I supposed to expound on my thoughts on the film or just the Trilon? Both. Let, hit us hit us with anything. Trilon's great. Trilon's great. My partner lost her phone in the in there, but oh, no. they let her back in the next day and she found it. So, you know, much love to the Trilon staff for being accommodating to us. They're pretty um, cool. The movie, I, the movie I thought was great. I don't, I don't necessarily remember my analytical impressions of the movie the first time I saw it. I think I was mainly trying to suppress a panic attack the first time I saw it. But the second time when, you know, there was no shock of the film, really, because I knew it was coming. I, I interestingly, I feel like my takeaway, whether intentional or not, and I lean towards this was unintentional by the filmmaker, a bit of a hopeful film for a lot of its runtime, though perhaps dashed by the end. But I find the character of Anna somewhat of a, if not hopeful, a more positively portrayed character that maybe she gets credit for. Um, can't say the same about like Heinrich or Mark or any other character in this movie who's piece of shit. And in a lot of ways, Anna's also a piece of shit. But I do find her character somewhat hopeful. I really like this take. A little later. Thank you. Fellas, you're, you're out at the bar with your girl. Uh, you're leaning over at some shitty dive in West Berlin. Uh, and, and this guy slaps her ass with the long wet tentacle how do you how do you respond jason is here utilizing our new video <laughs> capability to show us a picture of uh, it's the squid yeah video. arguably the biggest I mean, little freak in this movie arguably it's the squid games uh this movie i i really find that take of hopeful uh to be a really interesting one because i have no idea how how we're gonna like i I don't get that at all. I really love sure. that, that's, that. That's the way that you. The, that's what you came away for. Away with it from. Away from it with. I am. To me, this movie like I've seen it twice now. This was my second time. Um, earlier, just this year in October, was the first time I ever saw it. Uh, and to me, it's like a movie. It's just, just all about the question of where is feeling in relation to expression, like. What do, what does a feeling on the inside look like on the outside? How is it being portrayed? How does it how is it externalized? And how do you even like try and tell that through story or you know let alone film? Um, there are a lot of examples of like where that almost becomes textual, almost becomes like the point of the movie to me. Um, it but it always adds up to that really like freaky, uncomfortable vibe, that sort of like heightened uh, like playhouse vibe that the whole movie has. Um, there's that obviously that air of like duplicity and deception and layers and doppelgangers and abstraction throughout like um uh like the people that send mark on his missions being the ones that he's looking for i think the guys with the pink socks that whole plot arc ends up being like oh well he's just being used by some system that's like put, running in a circle basically um there are the mirrored living spaces between the modern sterile clean apartment that mark and anna and bob share uh, versus the decrepit flop house, flop house where she's growing this creature um there's uh you know mark finding helen is like 
no it mark finding helen the the doppelganger for anna is no less like hideous i think than the creation of the creature that anna is performing in her in her flop house like just a lot of weird parallels that go on throughout the movie um i really love the bizarre way that the that um the characters act extends to like the supporting cast and the world this is like one of the points that i want to try and get into later so i'll just like outline it here but um, like for example, Heinrich is an absolute like caricature of this sensuous weirdo European. I I love him to death, but he's just so fucking weird. Um, whenever uh Mark works, whoever Mark works for is like straight out of Doctor Strange. Love those people. They're all like cloak and dagger. You don't really know what organization they're working for. Um, even the guy on the train who takes like he grabs a banana from the bunch. Uh, when Isabella Johnny when Anna is headed back to her apartment to feed the beast. Um, just like unadorned unmentioned just nothing happens nothing nobody questions that that happens it just happens even that guy that first detective who ends up at her, at her apartment buys sausage and just leaves it on the fucking steps just people acting so fucking weirdly there's so many more examples and to me that's like this movie would be completely different and broadly worse if um if there were just a few more sane like normal people in it uh, but everybody everybody is a freak everybody like the closest we get are the people at the restaurant who dogpile mark when he attacks uh, Anna, when he's like swinging chairs and knocking over tables and shit. Uh, those are the most normal people in the entire movie. Uh, and I think that's like, that encapsulates to me, like what, what's around these characters is as important as their main plot. Um, there, you'll find a lot of writing and thought about like the, the uh, comparisons between the directors uh, dissolving marriage while he was making it and sort of the uh, split of, Germany at the time with the cold with the cold war and the uh Berlin wall etc but i think that like on another level i think it's it's also trying to say something about how you even capture or explain feelings through a movie uh and that's that's what i came away with the second time around of watching this movie um i don't have a cute fun way to hand over to Cody as i normally do because i've been too lost in my own thoughts about the movie but this is where Cody's thoughts start to take over i don't know i thought that was kind of cute thanks thank Jason you, thank uh, you yeah, I first watched Possession uh, through Metrograph a few months ago. I loved it then, and I really love it now. Um, yeah, I think it's extremely captivating with what it presents, which is this exaggerated and kind of like um, it's been alluded to a, a, up to this point, but it's sort of this exaggerated like meta language through which Anna and Mark and this movie as a whole sort of express um, and manifest the most extreme visualizations of emotional and physical violence uh, as they pertain to the 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 relationship with each other these two these two leads and it's in, uh, i think it's engrossing to see that integrated with um with a straight face you know with this real world with this walled off berlin with um a couple scattered fantastical elements um with uh and also you know this incredible exploration i think of how our perceptions of the world change pre and post relationship which um to blake's point i don't think like i don't know if i would necessarily argue for uh, uh, like this movie and these characters being hopeful, but I think there is some like sense of hope. Um, optimism is maybe a little strong, but just in knowing what, in knowing the truth, I think there is some, uh, some comfort in that. Um, and so like, I, I think I, I, I'm starting to see what he sees uh, for sure. But um, yeah, I, I mean, Mark as a, as a spy really early on gives me the, um, it, it set this tone. Um, sorry if you hear this cat. Um, it sets this tone early of um, kind of like what I get from American post-war, um, like roughly seventies, uh, like paranoid thrillers. Um, the camera, you know, it's always, 
especially early, it's always surveying. And then it crashes in on these, not just these close-ups, but these close-ups of people talking directly into the camera and sometimes monologuing for like many minutes at a time. Uh, there's you know, something to this feeling of like us seeing what we're not supposed to see. And then they, they show up and sort of talk to us directly. That's, that's very unnerving. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, seeing what we're not supposed to, seeing all these uh, being faced with the truth um, and then up to the, that kind of you know, culminates in the end. Um, when the movie begs us not to open the door in those final moments. Um, Isabella Johnny, uh, we're probably going to talk about her a lot. She gives, in my mind, like one of the best performances, maybe the best performance I've ever seen. Um, and I'm not usually one for being hyperbolic, but I, I think she's incredible uh, in this movie. I love how she can step uh, like step on the gas or tap on the brake, um, you know, with these extreme displays of emotion, depending on what the sort of text or subtext needs in that particular moment or that scene. Um seems extremely difficult uh, and and demanding and um, one of the probably multiple content warnings we'll need to put on this episode. Um, but, you know, unsurprisingly, this performance, you know, allegedly did take a lot out of her um, emotionally. And I couldn't find a lot of other details about this, unfortunately. But um, Zawowski did confirm a rumor at some point that a Johnny uh, attempted uh, suicide after, after filming this. Um, again, couldn't find much more after that. Um, apologies. But Context for context sake. Uh, Sam Neill is also incredible in this. We've talked about Heinrich. Um, Heinz Bennett uh, is an amazing flavor <laughs> to add uh, to this movie. And I was glad that they kept it. For some reason, I thought he would only be around in like the first scene or so. Um, is this cat audible in the background? I'm really sorry to like break the fourth wall. Oh, this, a little bit, but okay. it kind of rocks. Yeah, yeah it's, okay. it's okay. It's a, it sounds right. like a cute cat, man. Leave it in. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think um, yeah, a creepy squid freak is just trying to get in. So I'll, I think this is my cue to wrap up. But um, yeah, this movie's an all timer for me um, since it has this restoration that's um, that's come out. Jesus, um, I'm inclined to think that a physical media release is soon to follow. Um, when I was poking around for details about that, I did re-stumble upon Arbalos and, and <laughs> the nature of me giving free plugs to random shit. Um, there, there's a reason for me to do this though. Arbolos, um, excellent source for restored releases, and they have put releases out for episodes that we have done. Um, so fans of Son of the White Mare, Damnation, Juniper Tree, excellent, I would imagine excellent, high quality releases uh, of those films. They've also put out um, uh, additions for Funeral Parade of Roses and Belladonna of Sadness um, for you, you little freaks out there. Um, but yeah, uh, that that banging in the background. I'm gonna tie this into a cute transition um uh, that banging it's actually not the cat i've actually got to go answer the doors uh my landlord sent some guy uh named harry to to check my windows for some reason um so i'm just gonna go make sure he doesn't uh i'm gonna kind of guard my bathroom because i don't want him going in there but harry maybe you could say something to these these fine folks instead cody i'm afraid i am gonna have to still check your bathroom um a lot of bathrooms do have windows in them. I don't know if you knew that, but um, I know that you've lived here, but I'm still going to have to check just in case there's a uh, window you weren't familiar with. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, everybody's thoughts are really, really good so far. I would really like to... Um, well, I should start with uh, Isabel Ajiani. I absolutely agree with what um, Cody said. And also, I, w- I would go further to say that it's not just like an amazing and demanding performance. It's also an unusual one and kind of a thankless one in some ways, right? Because this movie is like almost camp in how big the performances are and how funny it is at, at times. And it does have a very, very good twisted sense of humor. Um, and it, it makes it so that like you, I can see why this movie wasn't received super well, because it's a really hard thing to get the tone for, especially if it's releasing contemporaneously, like people might've thought it was too serious or they might've thought it was too strange or too funny or something. But 
so for for Isabel Adriani to put together a performance like this maybe knowing that it wasn't going to be received in its time the way it should have been. And then seeing that critical response is like really heartbreaking because I absolutely think it's like maybe top 10 performance I've ever seen. Um, This is my first time I've seen this movie. Um, I was already familiar with it because uh, Jason and Cody and Seth um, were all very, very high on it after seeing it. Uh, Seth wrote a really good review on Letterboxd, which you should check out. That's longtime guest, friend of the pod, Seth. Uh, Check him out on Letterboxd. Um, So I went in expecting a lot of density and expecting a lot about the sort of existential horror of the dissolution of a breakup and how losing love feels like the dissolution of the self and how when you fall out of love with somebody, it feels not only like you're losing someone who's close to you, but it feels like losing so much of who you are and so much about how you perceive the world. And there's something deeply terrifying about that. What I didn't expect is that that's basically just the first act of this movie. And it's it's just the sort of like um, the gun that opens the race, right? Like, I think that there's that conversation really early on uh, between the, the two, the couple, where they're talking very explicitly about how, how terrified they are and almost in a very like sweet and sad way trying to console one another that what's happening to them is natural to people that fall out of love when they're so clearly terrified of each other it's that's a really amazing scene but it goes so much further than that right it it continues to explore what happens not only to people who fall out of love with one another but what they do to sort of um like reconcile with their new reality and the processes that that they have to undergo in order to recreate themselves and recreate a um, relationship with each other and with the world and with themselves. And I really liked what Blake said about Anna maybe being a hopeful character because, and I don't want to be too like, I, I I would resist any overly literal reading of this movie. Right. Um, And that goes both ways, both sort of thematic symbolic and, plot wise but i tend to read it as sort of a lynchian mobius strip a little bit right like by the end of this movie the the thing is about to happen again um and with that in mind uh there's almost a direct inversion of power between anna and mark through this movie right like she starts out completely defined by him completely beholden to him and sort of regains agency over the course of this movie in a way that is genuinely horrifying to the men that have controlled her throughout her life. Right. So like there is a really interesting feminist through line here. Um, and it's also, I mean, Aaron, I'm thinking you're probably going to bring this up. So maybe I'll transition here, but, um, it's also set in West Berlin during the Cold War, right? Which is an amazing thing to add onto what is already one of the most psychologically dense movies I've seen in a long time, right? Because like that sort of it makes this relationship between these two people, Mark and Anna, and Mark's relationship to his job and Anna's relationship to her former job and to their child, it it gives it this socio-political bent that that sort of become symbolic, right? We're like, we had talked about the ending when the bombs start going off. And it's like, what does that mean to these people and to their relationship to history and to um, the political scene that's unfolding around them? And it creates this, I mean, like Blake said, it's it's interesting, right? Because it's almost, it's hopeful so that it can be so much scarier at the end, I think. Um, and I really love that because I really love what he's saying about the, uh, the Berlin wall and about sort of like the 
possibilities of the future. And it's a really scary and really prescient commentary, I think, in a lot of ways. And it does that while remaining so close to the psychologies of both of these characters. So yeah, I I totally agree with with what Cody was saying. It's going to be like, you kind of hate these brutal January watches because like, I'll have to watch this again in October so that I can properly advocate for it for movie of the year in December, right? Um, but uh Aaron, I'm very interested in all of your thoughts and also why your face continues to make that like go from horrified to happy so quickly and in such terrifying ways that I can't really understand. And it's, it's freaking me out. So could you explain that for me? <laughs> uh, uh, it's more, it's more that you, uh, you said, Hey, I think Aaron's going to talk about this. And I looked at my notes and I had, I had nothing. I, had, I was like, Oh, I got to write down some shit Sorry. about that. Um, yeah, that's no problem. Uh, but I got, I did write them down, so I will touch upon it, uh, in a minute. Uh, uh yeah, I was, I, I sent this, uh, joke to the, to the chat when I was watching this, but, uh, really cool to have all of our golden berries decided this early on in the year. Like this is like a very good movie right? to, yeah, it, it's going to be rough to see, uh, uh, more better movies than this, this year, I think. Although maybe John Moret has a, a bunch of really crazy stuff planned. So that, that's cool. Um, no, it, it, it's great to see kind of the movie that, uh, is the first time watching it. Uh, last night, um, I feel like every single person that I know in my life has been watching this movie over the past few months. Uh, like I just had conversations with literally every single person. It's like, yeah, yeah, saw possession. I think it's probably due to that that new uh, remaster from last year. Um, but I was, I was very much looking forward to this one. Really enjoyed uh, seeing it. Um, I, I think there's kind of a few things that I'll, I'll touch on, although I'll try to keep it short because uh, I think I, I've generally agreed uh, with what everybody's been saying so far. I think there's like a, a very cold detachment that I think Jason touched on um, that I really dug. And I think like like Harry, I can kind of see why people may not have um, uh, you know reacted well to this movie when it first came out. I think even outside of the film being kind of bastardized and, and cut down um, in the manner in which this film was, uh, I, I think that, you know, it can be hard to really appreciate something that's that's this kind of out there uh, uh the first time you see it i of course have the context of every single person liking it that i know uh and it's kind of current status um but yeah i i, I really liked this i also did dig quite a bit how it doesn't adhere to any sort of um strict logic jason talked about this with with some of the weird actions of the characters the guy just eating the banana right um the way in which pretty much every man in the movie responds to Anna's actions uh, are, uh, I think the film is much more concerned with like symbolically making sense than like textually, like logically making sense, uh, which is good. Cause I, I dig movies that do that quite a bit. I think that even ties into um, what Blake said about Anna being the more uh, sympathetic character, hopeful character. Um, I think that if you just read the events of this film on paper, Maybe you don't come away with that impression, but this film is playing with uh, uh, how characters fit in, like symbolically and thematically. So even if even if you go like, yeah, I guess she burnt the demonic squid being, uh, and and you know, like yes, that is like on paper, like yeah, pretty fucked up. But I, I think there is her character as this this woman who has been kind of abused and used by these men in her life. Um, it, it works symbolically uh, in a way that I think is is quite good. Um, I, I also just to touch upon kind of Harry's point about the context of this film, specifically the Cold War. Uh, we were actually having a conversation, uh, I think, about Disco Elysium. Were we talking about the the like it, I think it's very natural to read a, a work of art, let's just say, uh, as all of the things exterior to the characters impacting the characters and, and somehow 
or sometimes I kind of find it more interesting to take a look at the characters and what they say about kind of the larger context here. And in that manner, I did dig the story of these two powers, so to speak, uh, kind of basically arguing over the, the, you know, the custody of this child and trying to shape this child into uh, uh, what they want. Right. There's so many scenes of like both uh, uh, both characters kind of taking a look at their son and like really just looking at like the physical uh, shape of him. Uh, and they try and shape oh, him man, in this manner. That scene, try and shape each other. Dude, when he puts yeah, his arms up creepy. underneath <laughs> the um, his uh, armpits and it's like he's going to like break his yes. uh yeah. Oh, rib cage or something. And, then he, and he, he does that to Anna yes, like two yes. seconds later, oh, right? Really and then she does that to him. Yes. Uh, it's great. Yeah. Like I don't think any of the characters are like free of of judgment in that manner. Um. But like, yeah, dude, Sam, Sam Neil. I was kind of like didn't love his performance early on, and then I was like, oh, he's actually. Yeah, he's he's a real good sicko. Uh, he's he's doing going, a camp so. performance just like Isabel Adjani, right? Where I was like, why is he talking like that in the first scene? And then by like two scenes in, I was like, oh, I get it. I, that's why he's talking like that because yes. he's that guy. Uh, also, it's super yeah. funny you brought up Disco Elysium because I thought a lot about Harry Dubois while watching this movie. <laughs> Just like a, a alcohol. It's 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 wild because I, I think we're supposed to assume that that Mark is like, of course, he's going through this rough breakup. Uh, again, it's a movie that works mostly symbolically, but also like, I guess he's just like wildly drunk this entire time. Like he's just going on like a, a few month long bender at a certain point. Like, is that what we're supposed to assume when he's just like writhing around up against walls and stuff? Um, yeah, very, very interesting performance, I think. I mean. What, what would you do if Elizabeth Johnny broke up with you for some swarthy European? I, what I would not do. I mean, it works the other way too, where like she, she spends entire scenes. Characters are just clearly talking past her, just like just saying whatever they want. And she's just like writhing around in the background for like 45 seconds straight. And characters are like, I think we should start seeing each other again. I think this would be a great opportunity. <laughs> she's just like twitching. And shit. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta love it. I agree. Uh, Blake, talk about more about what parts of this movie are, are hopeful. Yeah, I feel like I should backtrack a little bit. I don't think it's a Please. hopeful movie by any means. But I, I, as some of y'all have said, I find uh, honest character to maybe uh, agency is the best word because like it's pretty obvious that the name possession here is about you know, her being possessed by whatever, but also mm-hmm. men wanting to possess Let's her. Let's go! And, like, not to, not to I did not put, put that my, together. I didn't, I didn't to put, put that together. I'm not joking. Shaking my head like that's, like that's a thing I've always understood. Did not get that. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, but, like, a lot of this movie is, I, I the, the movie has a very stereotypical setup where it's like, pretty uh, misogynistic where it's like hey this woman sucks and it's very quick to be like uh, she does but like sam neill also sucks like he's not innocent in this thing this is gonna be a movie about people just sucking entirely but like what i like about anna's character is like yeah she does uh she does ruin the sanctity of her marriage, but she is also like spends the whole film on this pursuit of just like her own agency, her own sexual liberation, you know, because it's an exploitation film. Like this was on the video nasty list. She has to fuck a monster for some reason, but like that monster is like this woman trying to just be like, please let me chill. 
please let me live. Please <laughs> let me be my own person. Her whole subway scene, I think, is like the visual language explaining like this is a woman finally just living for herself. Yeah. That, of course, comes at the cost of her husband. That comes at the cost of her kid. She is by no means a uh, a good person in this film. But I do think her character does have the most hopeful, like, hopeful actions. Like, she seems to be a person who is at least trying to do the best for herself, where mm-hmm. Mark and Heinrich especially are trying to do the best for themselves at the detriment of her, you know, trapping her, keeping, like... Uh, if mark was a better man he would let anna go but instead Mm -hmm. he wants to control her you know and he he even fucks with her emotions a lot as he's like navigating his own breakup this movie does the thing where like a breakup happens and one person is instantly upset and then later they're better but the other person becomes upset which i found really interesting um but the, the the point being the reason i i like anna's character and i find her a little more happy is she's just like a character really trying she's like a, a, i say this as a white cis male obviously but like to me she is like a woman that is really just trying to break free of all the bullshit in her life these men that are controlling her like it's very clear pretty early on that heinrich is not the love interest we think he is like they were fucking and maybe there were emotions, but very, very quickly we learn like he is even out of the picture in Anna's life. And that ultimately, I think, you know, it, it kind of sucks because like the monster is Anna's ideal version of Mark and the teacher is Mark's ideal version of Anna, which is like, okay, you're no longer accepting the love of your life for who they are, flaws and all. You just want this fake version of them in your head. But, like, I don't think that negates, like, she is at least trying. Like, she's doing her best. And I think it's very telling that every man in this movie, when they come into contact with Anna's actions and the monster, is horrified by the fact that she is, like, she's doing this, quite literally, because it is horrifying. There's murder, there's heads in her fucking fridge, there's a tentacle fuck beast. But, like, metaphorically, they're horrified that, like, she's just, she's in love with this thing and she's happy here. And they cannot comprehend, especially Mark and Heinrich, like the private investigators, it gets a little more tricky with. But like Mark and Heinrich are so upset to find out what is she's up to. I mean, which ultimately boils down to her own. Happiness. Right. It's it's literally an immaculate conception, right? Like sh- this is literally yeah. a woman giving birth to something without the need for a man to do it with her. Yeah, I, I think that doesn't, you know, uh, make her innocent in any of this. Throughout the film, I would I would say she is ultimately a bad person. You need to look no further than Bob to understand mm-hmm. that her and Mark are terrible people. Yeah. But <laughs> I think in a movie full of despicable people, Bob notwithstanding, despite him being a little freak, uh, yes. she does at least no. have perhaps the purest intentions of okay. happiness. Wow. Yeah. There it is. There uh, who had their hand up first? I think that was Cody. Sure. Yeah, the athlete just just snuck in there ahead of uh, the onslaught of, of raised hands, and I I won't take uh, 
that long, I don't think. Um, I like that characterization of, of Anna a lot. Um, and um, something you were saying, Blake, it, it made me think of a line that this time around, like really it, it resonated with me. It hit me in a certain way. And I, I didn't, like it felt important, even though I wasn't quite sure why, but I think this, like this idea of, of agency and like the ways in which like um, the, this movie and her actions, like gesture at this sort, like she doesn't want like she she doesn't want to necessarily hurt people or hurt her marriage at the same time she has to in some way advocate for herself and her feelings and it's when it's when she and mark are in the the restaurant or whatever and it's before she tries to leave and then that whole like that that um a literal uh, like that table setting confrontation where it's just like hey this is what the movie's going to be we're going to like throw chairs at each other and it's going to be great um but she says it's one of those sort of like crashed in um close-ups she she says herself like nobody is good or bad and I, i'm like this isn't verbatim like nobody is good or bad but like she does like but if we need to like i will be the bad one here and like mm-hmm. she's like willing on some level to own up to that because she knows whatever journey she needs to take is like in some way worth it. And like that part of it is in, in a very not subtle movie. That is one part of it that goes like relatively unspoken, at least, you know, maybe until later. But um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I, I just wanted to add that as, as like a supporting detail. Um, But yeah, I I like that illustration of, of Anna um, a whole bunch, I think. There's, like, an uncomfortableness to it to some degree because, like, this is Shulkowski making a movie about his own divorce as it's, like, I think right. happening, which is exp- – there's actually a documentary about the making of, which I believe expands on that relationship and it falling apart. It's it's with the Mondo Vision release if you have the ducats to spend on that gaudy, <laughs> gaudy <laughs> DVD shit, box. Yeah. But and that sounds like have a nightmare to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, is to say I'm all in. There's an uncomfortableness to watching this happen because you feel like he's processing things in real time, which makes me think my read on Anna might not be true. But if it is, I'll say that's a pretty mature take for Zhukovsky to be like, yeah, I'm the mark in this situation. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, I don't know if that's true. I could be like, maybe I'm completely wrong in my read, which makes this film pretty problematic in a lot of ways. (laughs) But um uh, yeah, I don't know. Mark's There's the good guy. To it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. that's by t- uh, no, it's not by tip. I would but. go. I would. It all worked out for Mark. He became an archaeologist <laughs> a couple decades later. <laughs> one of the world's foremost. They do move move in herds. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, I would go you one further, which is that uh, sort of piggybacking, and I hate to use that term, but off of what Cody said, like it's also super important to remember that this is like distinctly a POV movie, right? Like the the movie opens with Mark, the character returning home from being abroad and finding that his wife doesn't love him and sort of like depending and again you should sort of resist all readings that go too far in any direction in my opinion but like um it depending on how you read how pov this is and how sort of like metaphorical anna herself is in this movie um a lot of what we're seeing is mark's perception of his wife right and this becomes a movie about what happens when a woman stops loving a man and what he does to her i mean like this could be an extended apologia for why mark feel like it, it's mark working through his emotions and ultimately coming to the conclusion that oh like the reason my wife doesn't love me is because she's possessed because she's literally a demon and she's bringing the antichrist to the world. Right. And the antichrist she's bringing to the world is a better, more perfect version of myself. 
still, right? Yeah. I mean, when she has her miscarriage in the subway, she literally says, which trigger warning, by the way, it's a brutal scene. Um, she literally says that it's faith that she miscarried, right? Like, And that faith was symbolic of her faith in Mark and her faith in the relationship, which as we later figure out, Mark is kind of her God, right? Because like literally she ends up giving birth to another God, which is Mark. And especially if you sort of perceive the Mobius strip effect of this movie it's it's like she had existentially and sort of even spiritually pinned all of her understanding of reality to the love that she had for mark and the relationship she had with mark as mark did with her which is where that sort of the really deep existential sort of like ontological horror of this movie comes from is that when that is destabilized, right? When love is destabilized, when you wake up one morning and find that you're not in love with the person you were in love with, it doesn't just feel like you're losing yourself or you're losing that other person. It feels like every, like there's an inversion of all things, right? Where God becomes a disease because your love of God and your understanding of God in reality was based upon your love of this person. And all of a sudden when that's gone, everything else is twisted and inverted. And then we're living in that world, right? We're living in a world where it's like, if this woman doesn't love me and if I don't love this woman, then like everything else I believed is not true and is the opposite of what I thought it was. And that like total breakdown and disillusion is what we like watch occur. Um, and to to Blake's point then and, and Cody's point about Anna, it's like, honestly, I, I think in inside of that, like you had said, I totally buy that, that um, argument. And I, you know, I'm, I'm hashtag Anna did nothing wrong. Right. We're like, this is literally a movie about the reclamation of Anna's agency post a controlling relationship. We're like in, in act one of this movie, Mark beats her very, very severely. Right. And that's like, you kind of get the impression that like, whether or not he actually did that during their relationship, like he was always a man who was capable of that. And like, he, he left her alone for so long and she was like clearly in some depression, some really deep depression. She suffered a miscarriage. Um, so, so yeah, like I, I really, really like the reading that like Anna in this movie is a, is a person who is, who is trying to get out from under patriarchy basically. And we are seeing her attempts to do that through the eyes of the patriarchy. And that's what it looks like to us, right? It looks like someone who's literally trying to give birth to the devil because like, that's what it feels like when a woman doesn't want to be a part of that system anymore. It's wild. Yeah, I, I think that that a slightly more surface level reading of the film, I think you would say that oh, these these characters are, are simply parallel to each other, right? They they both uh, uh, they both try and kind of create the the perfect partner, and thus they're they're kind of equatable. I think that that there's a little bit of nuance there that kind of rejects that more simple reading, right? Like I think that it is it is telling that the the ways in which they try and create this perfect partner are notably different, right? Uh, Mark tries to to kind of mold or to form. Uh, his wife to be more like the the wife that that he wants, uh, whereas Anna is trying to 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 create something new, right? Um, I think there, there's maybe a little. I'm, I'm not aware of uh, Zawowski's Zawowski's. Maybe I'm not. I'm not aware of his kind yeah, of I'll, I'll just, political I'll, views. I'll put yeah. a pin in that and say, very brave of Blake to drop a completely alternate. Uh, pronunciation of the director's last name and just throw me completely for a loop. I have no idea how to pronounce this guy's name anymore. I, 
I think it is. I think it is like said just straight. I think it is like Zulawski, but I think with a a Polish accent, that's where you get Zulawski. You know, Uh, well in Kentucky, where I'm from, it's pronounced Zulkowski. Ah, it's the Louisville Louisville (laughs) consonants. Everybody down there knows it very wrong because we don't know better. Um, I'm not. I'm not aware of the director's kind of political views, but I do think that there is maybe some sort of kind of larger political context about how uh, uh, the kind of the 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 two kind of you know uh, very generalized larger powers in the Cold War were attempting to uh, kind of um, influence uh, uh, you know various areas, domino countries, third world countries, and whatnot. Uh, to kind of follow after uh, you know one economic system or the other, um, I think there there is maybe maybe something there as well, uh, uh, and I think that's also tied into I mean as Jason brought up earlier the different architecture you see in the two apartments right the very very clean and modern architecture you see in the the final apartment at the end which is uh, their their friend's house that they they end up inhabiting um, I think there is something interesting there but I think that the film is in its nuances a lot more yeah sympathetic sympathetic towards Anna, certainly. Yeah, for sure. There's something that you said, um, that destabilized sense of self she has after she's after she realizes that she's no longer in love with um with Mark, clearly part of that pushed her to Heinrich, right? Uh what then are we assuming happened with Heinrich? Not necessarily plot wise, but just like in terms of building her character. The only I think glimpse we have of her time with Heinrich is the ballet scene, in which she's going really off about how uh, I've got the script here. She's like, she abuses this uh, young ballerina and then she sort of like reflects on what that girl now has from, you know, taking this abuse. And she sort of gives this monologue in which she's, um, uh, she follows up by saying um, that like she now, this girl is more resilient against the world. Basically she'll know uh, how much righteous anger and sheer will she's got in her to say, I can do as well. I can be better. I'm the best. Uh, and then she concludes that with that iconic, like, because you say I for me thing, because like she now has somebody to stand up for. Is that like the fact that Heinrich is that for her? Is that like, did that just push her closer to creating this now idealized version of Mark that, that the creature becomes? Is that like, is that something that still didn't fulfill that sense of self for her? I think so. I think he's like the stepping stone, right? Because even compared to Mark, like, you you realize by the end of the film, she is completely absent from Heinrich's life by the time the film starts. We see Heinrich throughout like half the film as mm-hmm. the other guy. But like once you figure out about the monster and Heinrich shows up drunk and starts calling the house and everything, like you realize he like Anna is at least still involved with Mark to some degree, usually just shouting in the hallway mm-hmm. at him. But like she's still present in his life. Where Heinrich, she's gone. I just see him as the stepping stone. Right. Okay. There's also like a really kind of like Yeah, there's a great irony to Heinrich, right? Where like he he is like a parody of the free spirit, right? Where like he he's the hippie, like bounce back guy and like like played to the hilt, right? Where it's like this is the guy who's like no attachments, man, free love, and like this is the guy that you fall in with after you've had a possessive relationship but like heinrich is ultimately even representing the opposite pole of sort of like patriarchy he's still controlling Havana, right like he still ultimately wants to control and possess her and so like i think that there's that's another point where it's like anna is never going to find what she's looking for in like with a man of this world because 
ultimately that is what all of the relationships in this world are predicated on, right? Like I even think that 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 idea of resilience is something that she's teaching that girl, right? Where like she thinks that she's torturing this girl and she's basically saying like women have to be tortured so that they understand the nature of the world that is out against them, right? It's a really okay. it's a really brutal scene, but it's like I, yeah. I really think that like there is some sense in which she is actually trying to do this girl a favor in this like really sad, twisted way. There's so much I think that Anna's sort of like a to, to one of Blake's earlier points about her not being the best person, she's sort of a Frankenstein's monster type person, right? Where it's like she is created by the society that she grew up in. I'm saying that this is a Joker movie and Anna is the Joker uh, by the end of it. She's giving birth to the Joker. Um, I, just to say something earlier. I hate this movie. Now. Yeah, sorry. I ruined it. That's what I'm going for. Um uh, to say something Aaron was talking about earlier, I also think that the the sort of like spy angle in this movie is really interesting for reading the movie's um, bigger sociopolitical context because there's almost a sense at the end of it that I, th- I think you noted this, Jason, but like something about the turn of events that has occurred feels vaguely like it was set up by outside forces, right? Like the the man with the pink socks, the fact that Mark was abroad doing some other work, maybe that connects to all of this somehow. So like there is also this sense that that those controlling people are sort of like symbolically the superpowers, right? That that are that are orchestrating world events like Aaron you had spoken to. And there's some sense in which like we are approaching this this period of like world history where like nefarious forces that are controlling the world itself are also sort of like dictating culture and interpersonal relationships in such a way that demonizes the other or demonizes the relationships we have with one another. Um, there's a really interesting through line there. Um, what I'm not suggesting is that the director thought that the Cold War ruined his marriage, but maybe I'm suggesting that a little bit. I mean... <laughs> Remains to be seen. Um, yeah, I, I guess um, circling back to to Jason's question, and I think not to like unfairly read too much into um, you know a character this this um, Sam Sam Neil two point um, you know someone we only saw on screen relatively briefly you know given the extent of the film, but like totally fair to consider even though like the 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 being is in his likeness that like some of the interactions we see from him or, or some other parts of him that we aren't, you know, uh, made to see in that moment. Like a lot of those things pro- like could easily come from Heinrich, um, you know, uh, Anna, like, like all of us take bits and pieces from the people that like, w- that we're in, um, literally rela- that we're in relationship. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, relationships with, and like subsequently move on from, and even though Heinrich is just a, a sports term, a rebound guy, um, you know, it's uh, like to- I, totally fair. And again, like un- Zhuwowski was pro- probably not, or I don't know, maybe didn't intend for us to go this broadly, but if it helps the reading, yeah. I mean like the multitude of people that Anna maybe has been with, um, maybe she feels some tether to, to mark um because they had a kid together and like that plays into why the likeness is him and not somebody else um mm-hmm. a certain like deep deep seated deep rooted sense of, mm-hmm. of obligation i don't really know um yeah. I, I think for a movie that is as like ham-fisted and and blunt and obvious as it is like the fact that we can like 
the split hairs over like little questions like this is is really really cool um, and fun to think about. But yeah, I don't I wanted to leave that leave that open. Um, I, I, and I know we're we, yeah, sort of discussing the binary because it is just those two partners of Anna's, but um, just opening it up and making it more more universal. Um, yeah, because yeah. Uh, relationships are are painful. I I would also just two two quick points. I know I've been talking a lot, so I apologize, but. Um, First, first, like it's never explicitly shown in terms of creature design, but Heinrich at one point does say that like he she's tearing people into pieces, and like she has body parts of men in that apartment that she's freezing. I think that it's implied that there is some form of like literal reconstruction happening where she is taking literal pieces of the men that she is that are in her life and using them to reconstruct the creature. And then uh, the only other thing, just to sort of like put more ambiguity in motion is that like we have already seen that like casting and appearances in this movie are not necessarily literal right because like in my opinion at least it's implied that isabel angiani as the um teacher may not actually look identical to mark's wife it just so happens that it's expedient for mark to see her that way and so like you have to wonder if like does the does the doppelganger look like mark or if heinrich was there would he have seen a more perfect form of heinrich right it's like that that idea that that the doppelganger literally looks like mark is more symbolic in my mind than anything else it represents like a perfect form that is that is um anna's instead of like anna being somebody's well yeah and it kind of speaks to like i mean i know we just talked about this being a pov movie from mark's perspective but like to that end think about being a man who whose partner has left him uh for somebody else, for something else, and just impressing upon that other thing, like, what does this thing, what does this person have that I don't? And then envisioning like a perfect version of yourself, an an immaculate, faultless version of yourself that's like, well, I am my own self-respecting person. So it still has to be a version of me. Maybe just right. a version it's of me. It's so narcissistic, right? It's like even at yeah. the end, he can't imagine that his wife would want to be any with anything other than a better version of who he is. I I love that. I love that. I love that so much. Who said who said the who who started off in the introductions with the line about uh was it Blake? Was it was it you who said the the I've never viewed you as uh what is the exact term? Well uh I for the first time you look vulgar to me. That line <laughs> is so funny in that context of that scene, given every single thing that he has seen up until that moment. I it was there's there's like a very, very dark comedy to this movie, I think. Oh, there's specifically there's some insanely with how stupid part, the right? men are. Like one of the last yes. lines, the doppelganger after um spoilers, but after Anna shoots herself through her body to kill Mark, the, the doppelganger like leans down next to Mark and like has this dumb shit eating grin on his face and sort of conspiratorially says, Hard to live with, aren't they, brother? It was so funny. Like I laughed yeah. out loud in the <laughs> yes. theater. And like there are several moments like that that are just very I mean Heinrich for one is absolutely hilarious yeah I was gonna say I, I don't know if it was our specific crowd or what but Heinrich was a fan favorite I, like wh- whether there are people who were who were coming in who had seen possession before or seeing it for the first time as soon as that motherfucker was on screen just everybody was in stitches before he even said a word and to be fair like the, to be fair the way he presents himself that that sort of image that caricature I think as somebody said like it it clues you in it's not necessarily subtle um, and he is hilarious so like I it's I like hot Anthony Hopkins. He's, so he's like Hopkins. sexy. I mean, yeah, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins Hopkins. in general. Uh, I think it's very funny that doppelganger Mark, uh, like the the perfect version of Mark, is just uh, like 
Mark, but with like a cooler haircut and with a shirt unbuttoned, kind of like Heinrich. That, that <laughs> like he's yeah. just a little, yeah, he's just like a sexier version of Mark. Like Mark went from like abusive nerd asshole uh, husband to like absolute Chad, you know, just by like yeah. unbuttoning a, a sports coat just a little bit. It's cool. The guy looks good. He's reborn. I mean, Heinrich is so perfect because, like, that's the part of the the movie that feels like blatantly satirical to me. Is that like he is like this this embody or personification of like what every sort of like red blooded man is is afraid of right like particularly in the 60s through the 80s just this idea that there's like there's some sort of like like gender fluid sexual demigod who is like completely the opposite of everything that you believe in he like teaches ballet he's like a granola guy he like has a good relationship with his mom and he's totally sexually liberated and he could kick your ass and he's fucking your wife it's like he's a nightmare person right it's so funny it like i it really felt like like this is like a it's like a cuck satire at that point of the movie and so like it but i i think that it like it totally works for what they're doing like it looked like you got something to say. Which character do you think is West Berlin and which character is East Germany in this movie? <laughs> All right. All right, here we go. This movie, uh, okay, look, I, I mean, that's mostly, I don't know enough about the Cold War to speak oh, to either. it, but this movie does love that wall. It is outside of everyone's apartment within a few feet. Uh, did you all notice the guy kicking the head right outside the Berlin Wall? It's the private investigator right before he goes to Anna's apartment. He turns around, comes back, and kicks a decapitated head. Holy and then shit. Turns back Is around that what he kicked? Yeah. Holy so, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that uh, was the head either. Missed that That's one. amazing. I, I do think, like, again, not uh, an authority to speak on this in that documentary. By all means, watch it. They speak about the Berlin Wall's presence and the Cold War's presence in this movie. But it's interesting to see the director, whose name I refuse to try to pronounce again <laughs> after being called out so hard, uh, <laughs> like, equate his failing relationship with the Cold War and, like, find the commonalities and, I guess, process his feelings probably on both through that um i'm sure if i was much smarter i'd like have a better takeaway from that whole thing but like the surface level just kind of seeing it happen in front of me in real time was really interesting to watch well yeah it's yeah, like I, I, I was being facetious right when i said that oh he he blames the cold war for ruining his marriage but like <laughs> there there really is something symbolically happening there right where, where it's like there's something yeah. about the walls that are going up between political ideologies in between people in between um like historical perceptions of the world that is making it so that like any conflict becomes like existential and ideological and um like binary in a way that that is very terrifying right and i think that that there really is something there which is really fascinating there's also like the marriage of the two, no pun intended for this movie, I guess the marriage of like the relationship story and the political undertones, because numerous times we see guards on the Berlin wall mm -hmm. watching Mark. I find it very funny that Mark too is like ever in espionage mode, always like staring out the window at them trying to like see what's yeah. going on. Love that. Uh, Harry, you got one more thing before I ask my, what I would call my final question. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would just say that, um, it's also really fascinating the way that this movie talks about, I mean, like relationships, even sociopolitically are really interesting because like these are people who are unable to remove themselves from each other, right? Like I think that that's a lot of the 
agony of this movie is the fact that like Mark cannot be without Anna. Anna cannot be without mm-hmm. Mark, their their son. There's like this idea that like walls don't actually work. I mean, Anna has one of my favorite lines in the movie is that she says like everyone's the same, like insects, right? It's like there's this there's this idea that like everyone is actually mutually affecting and affected by each other in this like very deep way and that attempting to sever those relationships is not possible and it actually just creates this like ingrown terrible resentment um so i think that there mm-hmm. that there's something there as well man what a dense movie this movie has so much on its it really mind. Is. i really really loved watching it and that's even complicated by um the fact that i think the director had to flee poland to make this movie right like he was mm-hmm. he needed he to never get out returned. of exactly and like, that's like yep. i think you see that through a lot of like like harry's saying like a place divided but not really really like you're still seeing over the wall you're still like you know that you exist in the same landmass you know that it's still part of one thing right right like, he probably he even though he had to literally leave poland he could, was never able to leave it behind but even though he had to like he and his wife separated terribly apparently i'm sure that they like never left wholly themselves behind right like they still had some idea of of each other right because we grow Um, into each other right i mean it's impossible it's and like when you think about like he was thinking about globalization and like about the effects of the cold war on not only like political history but also like interpersonal um development it's like a wildly Mm -hmm. prescient movie too i mean like you can really like take a lot of these insights forward towards some really really terrifying conclusions or you can just play metal gear solid 5 uh and you know get a lot of the same shit out of it uh i am gonna call this my last question people can jump in with more discussion points but like we discussed that uh, the creature itself is like nasty and soupy and busted, um, but like the creepiest, like the most fearsome scenes in this movie are the ones where we're not ha- seeing anything that's like supernaturally weird, anything that's like couldn't happen in our own world. There's the two scenes that I'm thinking of are the, um, well, I guess three, the, the ballet scene, that we've, which we've already discussed. The scene yeah. that's literally just Isabella Johnny staring up at a crucifix and whining like a child like in the most terrifyingly infantile way, like even Bob doesn't do that to her and the scenes where Mark is, yeah, just relentlessly beating her. Um, What did everybody think of those moments, especially in comparison to like the more clearly supernatural and bizarro shit? Um, Toss to, toss to Blake first. What what did you think of those like humanly disgusting scenes? Um, The, yeah, I, I, I took, took my old lady to see this movie and uh, she, when we left, she was like, that movie's great. Uh, did not like the scene where that dude beat his wife. And I yeah. was like, that's fair criticism. <laughs> um, fair. Um, the the church scene, as a as an owner of a chihuahua, I actually see her whining like a dog, which I think okay, is yeah. slightly more pathetic than a child. Oh yeah, like like not in a like insulting way, but like that scene is like there's a lot going on there, and it reminds me of the way my dog will whine and pout. Um, but I, I to to bend the question, I'm sorry. Uh, the scene that bothers me the most that isn't yeah. like overtly scary. I mean, the subway scene is the scariest scene for me, hands down. But the scene that like bothers me the most that isn't like that shocking is the one where she's cutting meat in the kitchen. Um, not the scene, not the point where she puts the 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 knife to her neck. 
it's when Mark's kind of yelling behind her and her eyes are moving 700 miles a minute. And yeah, like, yeah. she's really channeling. I don't think she does this often in this movie. I don't think there's a lot of Linda Blair in her possession performance but that moment there is a bit of linda blair in like how she is visualizing what's going like the possession of her if you look at it in a demonic sense or whatever that scene gets under my skin so badly and then i mean shortly thereafter where mark is um cutting himself and she walks in and she's like it doesn't hurt does it that that also oh my God, that very line. much a Chekhov's knife situation that entire yeah. scene. We're like, it's gonna cut somebody by the end of this. <laughs> Chekhov's knife, Chekhov's grinder. They're like going at all this meat, and it's like some somebody's gonna lose a hand or some shit, and then yeah. I and I shit. really quick, I I I I agree with all the praise heaped on Ajani's character. Um, the one thing I couldn't get past in this movie, which I think is a compliment, but might not sound like a compliment, is she's a master of overacting, which is usually like an insult. Like, if someone overacts, it's terrible. She's like, mm-hmm. ca- ca- you cannot tell me she's not overacting Oh, absolutely. That's what I said. It's like, it's a but weirdly some, risky yeah. performance, right? Because it's like, it's not yeah. an Oscar quote-unquote performance because it's not subtle in the least. Like, she's acting her butt off. Yeah, I think that's like the thing I really took away from it this time was like she any there is so many any other person probably that tried to do that same role this would be exactly. a, a disaster character the yeah the yeah. fact that she can overact that hard and still pull it off like i think is amazing it's it's like the first time i've ever seen somebody try that hard for a role and actually achieve what they were trying for you know but it yeah. is incredibly trying to very hard yeah, yeah. Uh, i thought it's like Cody I, and there you go yeah, I was. I I love that we um, opened open a can of worms. Sounds a little harsh, but yeah, that that um, that scene with the meat and the knife is incredible. I had a couple points I wanted to touch uh, about on it as well. That was a sentence. Um, yeah, that 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 scene or the I guess the sort of top of the scene where Mark is is trying to get answers and and Anna is in all you know is in a certain way and like he. I guess in retrospect, I guess he is sort of tapping into uh, like something of an espionage mode because he's asking her very direct questions and she's responding and like, as if you're being watched. And like, I think at this point they do have an idea of like, if she like acts um, too much of, of a certain way or like things get too close to this like bubble of um, the truth, then she gets sort of taken over. And so he's asking her very like direct, succinct questions. She's not saying anything audibly. She's just like shaking her head and like, or, or nodding her head, you know, re- appropriately. And I, I love that even though he doesn't have eyes on her, he knows like when she doesn't respond or like when like she responds in a certain way. And um you know, uh, um, like is here now or, or like, do you hate us? Do you hate me? Do you still love me? Um, are you afraid that like, are you afraid that I won't like you or something like that? I think is maybe one of the final questions and, and she nods her head. That is like talking about scenes that are like unnerving, but in the not sort of obvious ways, um, watching that again was like very gripping and, um, and eerie as was the way that, um, that I guess that whole sequence ends where Anna is, is leaving the house or, or set to leave the house. Mark has already, you know, cut his arm and he's just sitting there on the floor. And I believe it, it's her 
who who says it doesn't hurt and he just looks up and softly goes no and it's it's just like oh my god that like i don't know i i don't have to get into the ways in which that like i don't know that reverberates throughout the the text and subtext and beyond but that just that's my big takeaway line yes it's not the one we're gonna end the episode with but it's like one of my maybe one of my favorite lines in a movie I, which now i am getting into hyperbole perhaps perhaps but i love that so and, much and, and like it's it's the most intimate moment between them right and like maybe the most emotionally honest moment in the movie and it's just like they're looking at each other and it, it's so resonant because like and I, I hate to be too personal, but like everybody's had breakups like that, right? Where it's like at a certain point you like take a step back and it's like, oh, we're both making each other into monsters. Like we've both become horrifying reflections of ourselves. And I really just like I love that literalization of like they they cut themselves and they and it didn't hurt and they just like take a step back and they're like, wait a minute, like do you realize what we're doing? And he's like, yes. It's like, there's this an amazing moment in like the contention. There's like this, it's like the eye of the storm in the movie. Right. Um, that, that scene scares the shit out of me. Um, I really love the, um, the line that you spoke to Cody about how he's asking her all of these questions. And at one point he's like, are you afraid that I'm not going to like you? And she says, yes, that's so heartbreaking to me because it's like throughout this movie, we've only seen Mark's perspective where she actually does seem like she is removed herself from him like she's finally free of him that is obviously not the case right like she is still deeply defined by mark she is still deeply in the throes of his sort of like possession of her and uh i find that acknowledgement of it just so so sad right like this agony happens it's like the they say that like evil is a reflection of good or whatever it's like this this agony only exists because love was once there right like and that that's maybe like the and um I think that the two scenes that always scare me the most is uh, Isabel Anjani's face. Um, I think that this is like the most like effective weaponization of beauty in a like one of in the movie, right? Because like everybody simps for Isabel Anjani. There, there are so many um, like letterboxed reviews to the effect yeah. of like, oh, I would do all of this if Isabel Anjani broke up with me. Um, or like, I love how she's possessed throughout this movie and all the men are just like, Oh, look how hot she is. I think that's a feature, right? Like, I think that, that this movie is taking, <laughs> bug. like, we are supposed to have the relationship to Mark that, or to Isabel Angiani that Mark does, where it's like, she's this impossible beauty, like, Dolores Day character to get back to <laughs> Disco Elysium. And it, and it's like the fact that, that she is like, utilizing this against us is so good. So like the, the scene, the really famous scene where after she's beaten, her, her face transforms from like, disgust to fear, to like mockery, to laughter, all in like one close up take. And it's like, I thought I was prepared for it because I've seen the stills and I was not prepared for it. And to watch that happen was like absolutely skin crawling. Um, and then uh, just every scene that Bob is in, I'm, I was so worried about Bob throughout this movie. <laughs> so like, and they do so many good like horror flashes where like you'll you'll they'll be having this big conversation and then all of a sudden the camera will pan and bob will just be standing in a door frame and it's just like <laughs> what a like for all the high horror in this movie just like what a low horror of like hey like have a kid watching their parents get divorced sucks for that kid huh and it's like yeah you're right movie like that does fucking suck like that apartment's also a mess yeah yeah. i mean like i mean i know it's minor in the grand scheme of things but you you know you clean up every once in a while like uh, you know we're all sympathetic towards anna here but she does just like throw ziploc bags all over the place i mean trash cans upturned i mean think of bob you know yeah that's one of the things that 
that's one of the things I read. They might cover this in the do- documentary too, but like the fa- that that scene where there's like peanut butter and jelly all over the place and everything's just smeared. Apparently, that happened between uh, the director and his wife. Like she left their child alone for a long time, and he just got into a fucking big mess of shit. You know, I don't know if that's true or uh, if that's like a one sided story. But, but also, like, like that somehow it reflects a and like a facet of reality. Yeah, well, I mean, it's so resonant, right? Because like, I mean, depressed people often can't take care of themselves, and depressed parents yeah. are not they can't take care of their kids either. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's a thing that happens. It's just a truth. Um, uh, the only, the, the other thing that really scared the shit out of me was during the possession sequence, the miscarriage sequence, I was so afraid that Isabel on was going to hit her head against the wall. Cause she kept whipping her head around and it, she, she got did, so she close to that did. wall. And I was like, you, that's a, that's a traumatic brain injury. Like I was so worried about it. <laughs> oh man. I I feel like possession was so hard to find for a while, but like you always heard about it, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like a lot of that subway scene I had kind of like consumed in bits and clips, and like so when I watched this movie, I knew that was coming, and I like it, it played, and I was like, oh, here it is in that movie. What I hadn't seen was the moment she collapses and every orifice in her face starts oozing. You never see that part on in GIFs online. It's always her like whipping her head around. But the most shocking part of that movie is when the, the King Cruel's second album, The Ooze, comes out of her <laughs> fucking face. And when that happened, when I saw this movie for the first time, like I have never been so gobsmacked and appalled in my life by like what effectively looks like hand soap, you know, right. like it's, right. it's unbelievable. By, by the end, by the end of it, I was like, I'm not one to like tense up or get freaked out at horror movies or whatever. I was literally like clutching my coat in my hand with a, like yeah. an iron fist. It is viscerally reactive. You you love when a movie yeah. reveals itself to be a Bloodborne movie like an hour in, right? It's like all of a sudden you're watching Bloodborne. <laughs> yeah. That's another video game reference. Also, Sorry, Cody. It's a video game, Cody, yeah. Thank you. Thank how you. do how do all the GIF creators out there like skip that part? I don't know. Like, that's I make, that's the best part of that scene, and I had never seen it before. I make all the GIFs that we put out for this account, for this Twitter account. I've already made that one. And I don't know how people don't yeah. fucking make that. Also, also the sound she made. I mean, like, there's she's yeah. The, all the sounds she makes in that scene are fantastic and mind blowing and appalling. But like the final scream she gives is inhuman. Like, yeah. if a, a movie these days that would have been processed and faked and you know made in a made in a recording studio somewhere, but her just in this Berlin subway hallway, like letting that guttural. Yeah shriek out is unbelievable i'm gonna put that in this episode i I like i like hijacked the conversation i'm sorry no please you're the guest i I can't i can't imagine we're gonna put that yelp in by the way right here quick content warning this scream is pretty loud and a little uncomfortable uh you might want to just skip ahead a little bit uh we don't really discuss anything important for the next few seconds of the conversation anyway You can't. You, you got to give. You got to give a heads up because people in their car I'm, would crash their car if that <laughs> came with no warning. Well, and like, and and I saw. Granted, I saw this at the trial, and it was my second time. I thought I was adequately prepared. You know, I, I watched it um, through Metrograph. Um, uh, you know, not for nothing. Uh, you know, I've got pretty sizable TV. Harry knows. I, I needed. I needed to recruit his car to <laughs> to bring it into my apartment because my car was too small. Um, but like something about being in a theater, and I've noticed with this with some other movies, maybe it is just like you know 
um, getting back, getting back into capital S society. Um, but like the, the sensory overload of image and sound together just does something where if I see certain, like, um, like body stuff on screen, my brain will do this stupid thing where it's like watching Isabella Johnny's character ooze, um, your video game stuff out of, um, her various orifices. My brain will just be like, Hey buddy. Hey self. What if that happened to you right now? And that, like <laughs> part of me just like shuts down. I was like, why would you ask that? Oh, I can't unthink it. This is too much. Um, yeah, that's uh, that. And that sequence every time is when I like rethink again, just like, is this the best performance I've ever seen? Like, it, it might be the best performance I've ever seen. It's way up there. Uh, this is where I'm going to open up the floor to any final thoughts, any like little straggling, even if it's like, this was funny type thoughts before we go to our final segment of the show. Blake, was there anything in your, in your mental notes you haven't pulled out yet? I don't know. It's interesting that Bob, despite being in some of the most heartbreaking scenes, is also like contradictorily, if that's a word, absent for a lot of the movie. He almost becomes an afterthought to both the film and the marriage, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, he is not ever present in this film. I feel like a lot of times you're like, oh, yeah, there's a kid which I feel like the parents of the kid a lot of times are like, oh, yeah, we have a kid. <laughs> well, exactly. um, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I felt the same thing. Like parenting is kind of a big theme for the first act or so. Yeah. And then it's not like it's like thrown away. Like they do explain it. Margit comes to take care of him. And, you know, like yeah. he's, he's there throughout when the doppelgangers replace them and everything. But yeah, he's just like, you just have to remember that, or, sorry, like, from the perspective of these characters, they have become so completely consumed with their issues that they've forgotten yeah. like one of the main things that binds them, right? Also wild of this movie to end with the implied suicide of a young child. Yikes. Don't open. Just saying. Yeah. Just yeah. Saying. It, 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 like, like I is I'm Go ahead, sorry. sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say uh, well, I'm muting. I'm muting. Okay, he's <laughs> muting. I I'm still trying to put together, is it just like the madness? Is it the influence of these two doppelgangers and the alien creature know. that, that, yeah. that you know, makes him go wild? Because like all of his caretakers are now dead. Does he have some childlike, like, innocent view that he knows these aren't his parents? And he's like, well, I understand the concept of mortality, even though I don't understand the concept of like cleaning up after my PB&J. I mean, yeah. don't open, don't open. It, it's, I, don't I think it's open-ended, right? Because like he's a, he's a kid who like – he. I think that that there's maybe even a, a more terrible and sad implication there, right? Which is, I mean, which is a wild thing to say because it's suicide of a child is pretty much number one. But like something that's that w- more sad and implicated than the movie itself. Well, but like I don't know that I, it, it might not be a concept of mortality thing, right? Like I think that throughout the movie he submerges himself as a comfort mechanism, right? Like he he's shown when he's hanging mm. out with his dad when he's taking a bath, like he submerges himself and sees how long he can hold his breath to impress his dad. He does it later with uh his second caretaker. It's a thing that he like it's like a security blanket for him, right? And like mm. man is that just a brutal fucking ending. And like, there's something about kids floating in bathtubs or maybe just people floating that, that is like such an indelibly horrible thing. Like I, I think about like um the Bergman movie, hour of the wolf has that kid floating. That is so terrifying. And then like perfect blue, obviously. And then like, there's the dog in this one, the dog in this one, the dog also in terrifying. This one, which, yeah. 
Um, it tears my heart like out. Like all um, of the Aronofsky movies because that guy made a career out of ripping off Satoshi Kon. Um, uh, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Yeah. Like, oh, God, it's it's terrible. Uh, awful, awful stuff. I do think we are supposed to maybe assume that there are going to be more deaths very shortly after the end of this movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe a, a few more deaths uh, than just that kid, if you get my meaning. Yeah, it seems uh, Based on the air raid sirens. A bunch of air raid and bombs going off. A bunch of air raid sirens and bombs going off in the Cold War. Not a good sign, probably. Uh, but This Cold War is starting to heat up. Anybody with final thoughts? Wow. A silent room. For final thoughts, we got to talking about Bob and nobody wants to talk anymore. Oh, it's, <laughs> I, I, my, my final thoughts, and we don't need to dwell on this, but like how wild is the whole second act with the school teacher, huh? Like there's just oh, yeah. artist happiness in the middle of this movie. Like they just done put an entire other movie inside this movie. Uh, it's amazing and terrifying. And that character has like three scenes and boy, does Isabel Adjani make the most of them because that is also another Man, whole other dimension that is fun to explore. She is. So Anna is using the meat grinder in that scene before the electric knife. And then in a later scene, uh, Helen is cleaning the meat grinder in the same sink. Like I, I, I don't know. We were already talking about how just like, weaponized the beauty of Isabella Johnny in the eighties is in this movie. But like I said, this outside of the theater last night, first they put Isabella Johnny in a movie and they make her a little bit crazed. And it's like, okay, this is like, there's a distance, there's a push pull here. And then they put like a white band around her neck, Victorian style. And it's like, guys, guys, wait, just, just hold up. We can take, we can take only so much of this. We're going to break. And then they decide to give her bangs and bright eyes. And it's like, okay, guys, we have, we have, Cross the threshold of reason. We are just, we must simp. It is explosively, uncontrollably attractive of you to do this in this movie to this character. And that's the point. I and cannot like, abide. You're the asshole for doing that. Like, you're, and I am the, you're the possessor. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I am. Uh, Go ahead. It's, it's a, I mean, it makes sense that this was not her breakout hit because no one saw this until like <laughs> yeah. 2019. Um, but like it's a crime she didn't become kind of like a breakout star in america or something like she is basically just it and that that's like so reductive to the french film industry but you know what i'm saying it's a crime more i guess it's a crime more people don't know about her outside of like art house scenes or exploitation scenes or Mm -hmm. her own country in france like it's such a bummer that like we don't talk about her in the same breath as many other like very renowned and respected actresses. Right, right. You know, the the Streeps and whoever else is of the world, like, belong in that same yeah. conversation. I- IMO. In my uh, Isabel, Isabel, my opinion, Isabel, my trying to IMO this into her name. Um, but that's probably where we should cut me off. Uh, we have one final segment. Blake, do you know, do you know the theme to Sister Sister, the uh, ch- the children's TV show of yore with um, the Maoris? Nope. Okay, so it goes da 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 da. I need you to sing the words Cody's Noties when we introduce this next segment with uh, once Harry yes, sees us up. Yes, thank here. you. You can't say no, but. Okay. No, you cannot say. I'm not giving our guests. Oh, never mind. Okay, no. Wow. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is the segment that we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties. There you go. Wow. We <laughs> held on. Everybody always goes for the higher harmonies. You went for the lower harmony, and it really came out. Thank you. Thank you. No this, is a, no a, a, this is a segment led by Cody. Uh, I didn't need to say that at all. 
it's it's okay that you did. Um, thank you. Yeah, thanks, fellas, uh, for that uh, demonstrative introduction. Um, and this is going to be sort of a, a stripped down, um, figuratively bare bones uh, noties today, um, as we did with the first episode of 2021, which was Wong Kar Wai's As Tears Go By, if memory serves. Um, what I'd like for us to do today is to sort of speak into existence some movie watching goals for our, our own selves. And just to give everyone here some time to think about it, I can go first. Um, I did go back um, to our, our 20 or first episode of 2021, just to kind of jog my memory about the goals I had set, because I set them and then didn't think about them for a while. Um, I did put out a, a sort of prophecy for um, the trial of Twitter account, uh, follower account. And, and I said, this would be the year we'd get to a hundred followers, which we did um, pretty quickly and, and easily. I don't know if I have, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I have the, the cojones to, um, to, to set um, another goal for ourselves, but wouldn't it be pretty cool if we got to 150? That'd be pretty dope, right? Anyways, that would um, be cool. Yeah, that would be pretty that cool. That is never um, going to yes. happen, sir. <laughs> <laughs> we're, at, we're at like 118 right now. Listen, it's, listen. It can happen. Uh, uh, Blake has a sizable enough, following, bigger than any of us here. So as long as we get a couple of the solid RTs and QRTs from, from that boy, I think we'll get up. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got enough of a backlog. Uh, I'm an Blake, influencer. He's going he's gonna, to, it's nothing but up from here. Well, well, great. I'm glad. I'm glad that I prophesized that yet again. Um, but yeah, I, I guess as far as my um, general goals, I'm going by letterbox counts in 2020. Uh, in 2020, rather, I watched 638 movies. In 2021, I watched 575 movies. Um, and last year, I did say I wanted to watch fewer movies. So um, technically, <laughs> I'm still doing. Jesus um, Christ. Uh, yeah, so for the for the sake of my my social life and my my other hobbies, which um, you know, big disclaimer, like last year, if the world allows me to engage in other things, then I will hopefully continue to watch fewer movies this year. I'd love to see that number go down. Um, yeah, the past year or two, uh, because of how my brain works, I've loved utilizing um, the watch list feature on on Letterbox to sort of. Um, Fo- you know, uh, calibrate my focus um, for movie watching. Um, just, you know, if I have a free evening and, you know, there's something I, I you know, if I want to watch something, I just, I just go to there and I keep it pretty finite. I keep it to around a hundred movies just so it's not this ever expanding pool. The idea of just like um, a, a, an infinite amount of, of movies um, is, is very intimidating and decision paralysis sets in. But um, yeah, I guess um, Ozu is someone who I said last year and I, I think in 2021, I only watched late spring. Um, so I like, I, I kind of went by the bare minimum with that goal it, it, on my watch list. I've got, I think it's early summer and Tokyo story. So I'd love to at least watch those. He's got um, a wealth of other films in his filmography that I'd love to check out. And I just looking at older, older entries on my watch list. Um, I've got a few Agnes Varda films on there as well that I would love to watch. Um, I did not make note of their names because I'm a fool, but I, I'm, I, I can visualize their posters very well because I, I see them frequently when I check my watch list. Um, but I, I also, um, for, uh, listeners of, of the show know that. Um, and if you listen to the first couple minutes of this episode, you know that I like um, physical media and I trend toward that a lot. I do have um, some physical media that I would love to watch um, movies that I've never seen before. Um, I recently picked up an Eric Romer box set um, because of our recent series about that. So I'd love to watch through those. I got the Melvin Van Peebles uh, box set from Criterion. I, I, I did watch um, the story of a three-day pass shortly after we, we recorded The Golden Berries, um, just to sort of quasi write that wrong. Um, and that film is amazing, unsurprisingly. So I'd love to watch the rest in that set. Um, I've got some early Ernst Lubitsch 
um, musicals that I, I really like to get through. Um, and I need to finish up um, Abbas Kurostami's Coker trilogy. Um, that's, I, I think I've got the first two taken care of. The last one I still need to watch. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, just whatever, uh, whatever is, is trendy, whatever my buds are watching um, recent or, you know, same year releases. So like cleaning up 2021 releases, 2022 is of course on the horizon. I'd love to stay a little more current. I usually, I, I hate the idea of playing catch up at the end of the year for award season, but that's what I'm doing this year. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I've said enough. I, I have, I have a lot of ambition, but only when it comes to movie watching. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I'm going to do what I can to, to stay on track this year or not because fuck it. Um, and I don't, really know who to, to send it to next so i'll just I'll, I'll pick aaron aaron what do you what do you want to watch this year my man yeah i have a i have a, uh i think we've talked about it before but i make a stupidly large number of resolutions every year and then actually follow through i mean two maybe three of them uh so i do have some for 2022 although all of my film watching ones from last year uh, I did do watch all the Tarkovsky movies, I think most notably, and then a few stragglers along the way. Uh, I'm going to watch every Edward Yang film this year. Fuck you, Harry. Uh, you did suggest it. Uh, I will do it as an olive branch. Sometimes we recommend each other stuff and we get into a fight about it, you know, but I will, I'm, I'm extending an olive branch. I will watch all of Edward Yang's, but also I heard he's really good. So, uh, thank you to Harry for that recommendation. Guy has like eight films, so it's an easy one to knock out. Uh, I would like to finish the filmographies of some directors that I started watching last year, mostly due to this podcast, uh, Bishak Tati, uh, Wong Kar Wai, each of those, I got like two or three films to watch for each of them. So might as well do it. Uh, same thing with Bong Joon Ho. Uh, there's also like two, maybe three studio Ghibli movies I haven't seen. Uh, so watch those, finish those up, publish a, a list ranking them very annoyingly on Letterboxd. Probably do that. Uh, other than that, uh, if I have the time, I would like to watch the films of Kelly Reichardt, also suggested by Harry, uh, as well as David Lowry, uh, who I've seen a few films of, uh, but A Ghost Story and Green Knight are very much liked by me. So I'll watch his other stuff. Uh, and then always continuing, I have that book at full speed, which is about Hong Kong action films. So I'm going to keep going through that. Yeah, that's that's what I got. Um, Harry, how about how about you go? Since you uh, you just you recommended me half the stuff that I just mentioned. Yeah, thank you, uh, and congratulations for watching Edward Yang. He's the best. Um, you guys, you don't know how, what a curve breaker being good friends with Cody is. It's it, it's awful in some in many ways, really, uh, because I watched like. What did, what did I watch, like 250 movies this year or something? And like a, a respectable number, a fine number. But I I mean, like then I go over and I look at Cody's and I'm like, what am I even fucking doing? So in, a, in an attempt, not a perfect attempt, not an attempt that I will probably end up pulling off to uh, at least respect myself in the face of Cody's movie watching, um, I put together a list of 73 directors I really want to see um, and five movies from each of those directors for a total of 365 movies. I'm going to try to watch a movie a day. Um, if I probably won't end up watching all 365 of those movies because I'll probably watch other movies like uh, the Trilon movies or uh, movies that we'll go to see maybe if quarantine ever ends uh together hopefully um but i'm, I'm gonna do my best to stick to that list so it's on letterboxd um 
really looking forward to it. I think that Aaron pointed this out to me last year, but like watching director filmographies is something I really, really enjoy. Um, that's been some of my favorite pushes with um, uh, the Trilon movies. So like I, I'm going to get into that. I've got a bunch of directors I've never seen before. I've got some that I have to finish up. So um, I'm hoping that'll be a lot of fun. And we'll go to Jason next so that um, Blake can wrap us up best for last sort of thing. No offense, Jason. Best. For last, baby, I, well, we're contractually obligated to call our guest, whoever's on now, like the best part of the show, whenever they're actually on. So uh, next time we have a guest, you, you'll be dethroned, Blake, but come back. You'll be sure, right sure, back sure, on sure. That, uh, that throne. Um, I, my roommate, Seth, has put together 12 directors sourced from us, um, whom he has not seen many movies from, if any. Uh, and this month, I think, is uh, Olivia Asias, the guy who did um, Personal Shopper and uh, fucking Plaza Seals Maria. A few of the like pretty good movies, right? Um, and I haven't seen too much of his stuff. Uh, four movies a month, twelve directors. Um, it's gonna be I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. That that's the math that adds up. Um, that should be a lot of fun. I would also like to watch the James Bond films. I've watched like here and there, spotty ones. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna enjoy ninety percent of them. But if I have any fun with we any can of talk, them, we'll talk. Yeah, let, we'll talk, talk about let's it. Talk. Uh, I feel like I should start from the beginning and go. Um, those are my only two real. I didn't count how many movies I watched this year. I won't be counting this year. It's not that big a metric for me. Uh, but that's that's you know what rough goals I've got um, for this year. Blake, did you set any movies watching goals for 2022? Mm, not really. There's like some directors I want to get back into. Who's that? Got like three movies left no two move three move three movies left in the shinya sukamoto aero box that i haven't Fuck watched yeah. yet um i was thinking while we were recording uh, a good double feature of possession would be a snake of june which is in that box set um some similar ish things going on with the woman mm-hmm. in that movie um though is similar ish that uh, that's that's the one Emphasis about the itch the dick is that the one about cutting off the dick? No, you're thinking of Sada, which is not uh, Sukamoto. Why am yeah. I thinking of this guy? Anyway, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I want to watch uh, the last ones in there. Kodako, uh, haven't watched that one. I'm so scared of Kodako, uh, man. I, I'm really, really worried about that movie. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like, uh, you know, everyone, uh, Sukamoto, uh, uh, a very praised director. Not much else he can say. I think he's as great as many people think he is perhaps a little directionless perhaps bites off more than he can chew as a storyteller at times <laughs> uh but one of the biggest compliments i can give that man is uh all his movies are at max 90 minutes long it rules um so highly recommend yeah it's, it's a great point that. it's a good rule yeah good rule. some of some of his best movies like i think a snake of june is like 70 something minutes it's awesome um so i want to watch more of that you know watch more uh kinji fukusaku i recently finished uh the battles without honor and humanity uh series now there's the new battles and doberman cop and gangster and blah 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 blah. he's the best the best to ever do it um for the most part all five of those films were amazing battle royale is amazing so i want to dive into some of the other ones um i don't know i watch like the i feel like all the movies i want to watch are just like I'm trying to get better about not just watching like extreme or exploitation or like <laughs> stuff like that. But I did just get evil dead trap in the mail. So it's like, well, shit, I got to watch that. There's the eyeball cutting scene. That, I mean, I got to see what's up with that. That sounds great. But the, the biggest goal I have for this year 
is to rewatch movies. I feel like I'll watch a movie. I'll be like, damn, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. And then I will never watch it. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it'll be like, it'll be like 10 years. Sorry. Sorry. It's you. I almost become like afraid to watch them because I'm like, what if I don't like it as much? And it's like, what does it matter? Of course, I'm not going to like it as m- most movies as much on the second uh, second watch. But there's a bunch I want to watch again. Um, uh, the weird pick, kind of want to watch Irreversible again by Gaspar Noe. Ooh. Um, I think that movie's great. Um, I understand why most people would probably not watch it, but I think it's great. And yet, I the last time I saw it was a decade ago. Um, so I want to just while you're wearing a gummo shirt, are you the little freak of the year? Maybe, maybe I I don't need to rewatch gummo, I watch that pretty frequently. Um, same with kids. Let's see, what else do I want to rewatch? Solo Um, in the realm of the senses. Why did we have him on for spring breakers? What are we doing? I I wouldn't have been been alone in repping spring breaker. Yeah, I was the only champion. Well, Harry also liked the movie too. I think that movie's great. Uh, My favorite movie of all time. Granted, he didn't direct this. He wrote it. My favorite movie is Kids. Um, So big Harmony fan. Um, Anyway, let me see if I can pick a couple more rewatches. Revenge, uh, the new French Extremity film uh, that came out a couple years ago. Yeah, you've recommended that to me a few times. Very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely want to give that a rewatch. And can I get one more good one for my rewatch list? Yes, you can. I'm looking. I'm tr- I'm looking at such an awkward <laughs> angle, trying to see. You're gonna have uh, the first thing. It's the Smurfs 2017. You know what? I really want to rewatch Eraserhead. Ooh, oh yeah, go. dude. Okay. I. It's a great I movie. I have seen. I have seen that movie. I think it is amazing. But it's just one of those that it's like oh, well, I saw it ten years ago. And never decided to revisit this movie I ostensibly love so fucking much. Yeah. Uh, so this is the year. <laughs> Between now and December 31st, I am going to sit down and watch Eraserhead again. But yeah, Good. I really want to rewatch things this year. Yeah. Um, I was really, I was really like, I wanted to do that last year. And then I like rewatched Lady Vengeance. And then that was the end. And it's like, no, this year, rewatch the movies you love. Like, l- remember why you love a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm... Stop spending so much damn money on movies if you're not going to watch them. <laughs> like, no, I will keep doing that's that. That's brilliant. I will keep doing yeah. that. Uh, that that almost happened with um with Possession for me actually because I watched it in October and I was like, love that movie, five stars in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I do not know if I'm ever going to see that movie again. I do yeah. not know if I'll have the heart to watch Possession ever again in my life. I'm really glad I did, uh, but it was there are just dozens of those movies that I will never get time to watch again. I should bring those sure. forward. Um. Well, uh, that is the purpose of this podcast here to get us to watch movies or rewatch movies that we really need to talk about with uh, with great people, great guests. Thank you again, Blake, for being on. Yeah. Uh, where again can people find you? Plug your pluggables here. You can find me at your local GameStop. Go down there, pick <laughs> you up the Game Informer. Believe it or not, you can't buy a single issue of that, so please spend $13 and get a 12-month subscription. Goddamn. If you want to read that. Uh, but I'm on Twitter at uh I almost said Game Informer. I'm not a Twitter <laughs> Game Informer. Um, I'm on Twitter at Metallica is rad. I don't know how to spell Metallica. You figure it out. And then is rad. Um, and then on Game Informer. And that's it. That's about all I do. You ever I'm think- in Minneapolis. If you're here. Tweet at me. Let's hang out. Let's do it. You, know? um, you, you ever think about how Metallica is just metal or metal licka? I don't know. It's just a thought. Is it? That's yeah, great. That's yeah, great, Jason. I, I That's great, Jason. Thinking. I can't <laughs> stop thinking about it. Listen, you know what? Maybe a little more time in the incubator for that one. I don't know. <laughs> Here's the thing. By the time that I'm saying that, 
the credits music will be rolling. So just, you ever, just enjoy that. You ever, it feels you ever think about how Jason is just Jason? Son, son of Jack. Yo, son of Jack. What? Son I, of Jack. I'm actually a Rastafari. Uh, okay, well, this has been... Ooh, I can't say that can't at all. This, that. Uh, this, is, this has been our episode about possession. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, happy listening in 2022. My name is Jason Daphnis. This is Trilove. You can find us on Twitter, Trilove Podcast. Find the Trilon Cinema at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. You can get tickets and merch and all of other cool things. I hope you get to go again, Blake, because it is a really cool, yeah. special place, and it's not way too far from my place. Um, we have got more episodes coming uh, in coming weeks. Uh, stay tuned right now find me on twitter at nintendoofus and find my little co-hosts at well i'm not going to feed into that directly because oh. i know jason wants to get this wrap-up going so that <laughs> so that the music can play earlier so that it no, plays over him I'm like saying problematic again. shit i'm gonna stretch this out a little bit um love the rewatch energy from from blake i always keep a little rewatch cue for myself i'd love to revisit like man i saw demolition man last year i'd love to uh, revisit that again this year i did rewatch uh to be or not to be a prior episode um directed by ernst lubich um and i've been hoping to revisit uh design for living which is one that harry and i saw at the trial on and and really really liked um and also uh rewatching uh, not to just geez uh, i guess prior episodes again but police story one and two gotta rewatch those with the fellas 2022 is mm. uh, big things coming um yeah blake thanks for being here um always great Absolutely. to Thank have you. uh yeah cool folks uh, great guests cool voices that um aren't mine speaking of which uh, i've been cody narvis and you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh hey thanks cody also i like how you said the trilon's not way too far from your place as if we both of us didn't basically move to the neighborhood we moved in to be in close proximity to the trilon uh we're like four blocks away yeah, yeah. you're like four blocks away. anyway um and i've like thought about doing you just doxed yourself yeah a little bit oh no it's fine um i really really love rewatch energy um i think that like mm. I had usually been an anti or I spent a lot of time being an anti rewatch person because it was like, Oh, there's so much new stuff I have to take in. But like rewatches are often so much richer than first watches. Um, and I really love that. So I'm going to make Charlie watch Yee Yee in a couple of days because she is going to be outside of her house and living with me. And so she has no choice but to watch. So if you have any other suggestions about things I can make her watch while she is a captive audience, uh, hit me up in the comments. Uh, I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. That's your cue, big guy. Yes, yeah. uh, I will say that uh, I will. I will say that uh, if if you just heard what was said here a minute ago, and you're you're thinking to yourself, "Oh, they they live close to the trial line. That's cool." If you DM me, I will sell you their actual addresses for twenty five dollars. I'm not above that, so just hit me up. You can find right. me on Twitter at RB. Please get a deal on this. I mean, look, I mean, I think 25 is a fair price in order to stalk and or kill my co-host. I think that's I mean, fine. If somebody wants to pay you $25 too much to, ask. to get my address and kill me, that's, I mean, you know, that's fine. They or you might have an admirer. Who knows? Could be anything. Couldn't they save $25 and just go to the Trilon? That's just follow probably, me home. That's a huge, you know, I, <laughs> well, I not know, during I, lockdown. I on the mm. Like I, I would love Isn't to be killed point of this? at the trilon, but I don't, <laughs> I think they would probably find that deeply inconvenient. So I would rather. Isn't keep, the we, whole thesis though of this podcast, we go to this theater that only yeah, one exists true. in the world every single for, week. For like, three, save your, save there your money, are some folks. flaws in my plans. I was hoping <laughs> our fans were stupid. I guess I don't know. <laughs> we have been going on this podcast for three years. Like, and it's taken 
until now for you to for anybody to catch on. Correct. Uh, yeah, that's the end of the show. Look, look. Now listen, Heinrich. Stay where you are. At the bar at the corner. Bleed for a while. I'll be there as soon as I can.